delicious This day and age To read any good news On the newspaper page The love and tradition Of the grand design Some people say It's even harder to find Well then there must be Some magic clue Inside these dead walls all I see Is a tower of dreams Real love person out of every scene We're gonna fill our house with happiness We're gonna smother the fools with tenderness There's room for you, room for me For gentle hearts and opportunity It's a bigger love for the Hey, when I was a kid, I remember being in the grocery store with my mom and my little brother, and he was in the cart and he was being a stinker. He was grabbing all of the cans of vegetables and throwing them out of the cart. And my mom was trying to get him to stop. But at one point he grabbed the can of peas and he tossed it over the side of the cart and it tumbled down and landed directly on top of my mom's foot. She yelped in pain. It hurt so bad. And she gave a little bit of a stern talking to my brother. But I just remember being so impressed with how my mom held her composure. And I was watching her. And so was the attendant in the checkout line. And so when we got up to the checkout line, the attendant turned to my mom and said, excuse me, are you a Christian? And my mom was a little bit surprised. And I remember being surprised. My mom said, yeah, I am a Christian. Why do you ask? And the attendant said something to the effect of, because you have a peace that passes all understanding. You know, I called my mom last week to see if I was remembering this story correctly. And my mom said this, she said, reflecting back on that, she realizes that people are always watching you. People see you in those everyday moments. And she said, they discover who you really are. They discover who you are, you, who you are committed to and what you are really all about. And there was something about my mom that day that revealed that she was a resilient follower of Jesus. And as a kid, I was watching her model that kind of faith for me. And you know what? So was the checkout attendant. I've had people my whole life investing in me, in faith. When I was younger, I had a woman who put her hand on my shoulder and she said, Kenneth, because that's apparently what my name was when I was in elementary school. She said, Kenneth, do you know that you could be the one who shares faith in Jesus with your friends? And to be honest, I didn't know that. It had never occurred to me until she commissioned me in that way. And it changed my life. I remember a man in our church who was a mentor of mine, and he took me along to bring groceries to a single mom who had lost her job. And as we cared for her and talked to her, he turned to me and said, Kent, would you mind praying for her today? 
I was just a kid and I remember being intimidated. And I, I think my prayer was probably a train wreck of a prayer. It probably wasn't that great in the annals of prayers, but man, it changed me. And I, I remember that moment and I was earnest in my heart. And I also remember my dad. He stood up in church when I was eight years old and he told everyone in the congregation how much Jesus had changed his life. And as I watched my dad, I gave my own life to Jesus that day, 41 years ago. I want to talk to you today about this calling that we have as a part of God's family to model a resilient faith for the next generation. This is what we're supposed to be doing as a member of God's family. This is the second week of our series called Family Matters. And when I think of family, I, I think of my own family. So here's a picture of my family from a few years ago. This is my wife, Kathy, and this is our oldest son, Zach. He is just graduating from Crown College with a ministry degree. And our other son, Ben, who's just graduating from high school. And our daughter, Ellie, who is now 15 years old, and she's driving us all around town with her driver's permit while Kathy and I clutch the dashboard and work on our prayer life since sincerely and earnestly. Our family is a little bit crazy and unique. None of our kids were born in the United States and we have a full house at home. Uh, we have a uh, large dog and we have a medium-sized dog and we have a bearded dragon who does not breathe fire, contrary to popular opinion. And we also have a python who we have named Monty. Our house at times is a lot like an 80s or 90s family sitcom set. And we're like full house or home improvement or family matters. And at times we have all of those sorts of dilemmas and awkward scenarios. And our house feels very dynamic at times with the issues and the stresses and the fun that we have. But there are two major differences between the experience of our family and the experience that families seem to have on those old sitcoms. The first difference, I think the most significant one for me perhaps, is that nobody laughs at my dad jokes. There's no canned laughter to help me out with my dad jokes. You know, I, I tried this one on my kids last week. I said, kids, I'm growing worried for our calendar. And they're like, yeah, why is that, Dad? And I said, well, I'm looking at it, and it's, I've discovered that its days are numbered. <laughs> and on a sitcom, there would be canned laughter because that's hilarious, right? But at my home, it was just silence and groans. And Dad, please don't tell any more jokes. You know, but through it all, Kathy and I have learned that the other problem that we have that's different than maybe a family sitcom is that life is a lot more raw and real. And at the end of a day, we don't have a nice bow to just tie everything up and make everything okay. Life is much more raw than that. But Kathy and I have tried through our worries and our joys and our stresses and our busyness, we have tried to model what a daily resilient faith in Jesus looks like. Last week, Pastor Kyle introduced us to the idea that family is where we learn about God and where we learn to reveal him to the world. 
You see this in some of the most powerful passages in scripture, like John three sixteen, for God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. John 1 12 says it like this to those who believe in Jesus, to those who accept him, he gives the right to become children of God. All throughout scripture, God wants us to know that family matters to him. And God, our father invites us into his family. And therefore he cares deeply also about what matters to our families. So whether you're a grandparent or a brother or a sister or an aunt or uncle, or you are a mentor or you're a neighbor or you're a teacher or a coach, no matter what your role is and whether you're eight or 18 or 28 or 88, if you can't guess, I'm trying to cover everybody here. When you are a part of the family of God, you receive this calling to model faith for the next generation. It's just part of what God does. Look at Psalm 78 verses five through seven. He commanded our ancestors to teach his instructions to their children. So the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God. This is God's pattern. Do you see it here? Generation to generation to generation to generation. He told the ancestors who told their kids, who told their kids, who told the current generation. And now it's the current generation's job to pass a resilient faith on to the generation following them so that they can pass that on to the children, not even yet born so that they can pass it on to their kids. This has always been God's plan. Do you see that pattern? Now, the problem is it's really hard not to worry about that pattern. Now, our culture has gone a little bit crazy and it's hard not to panic about what might happen to the future of the next generations. And we have to ask, are they going to follow in the steps of Jesus? And we're worried about them. There are so many pressures pushing our children to think that God is not important. There is a cultural tsunami that is encouraging our kids to pursue their own interests and their own ideas about how life should work rather than pursuing God and God's ideas about how life should work. I, I like to say, well, actually, I don't like to say that in our culture today, there is a cacophony of chaos and confusion that is crushing our kids. And so I wonder, should we panic? I wonder if God's panicking. You know, somebody who understood this was King David. In Psalm 22, he wrote a psalm that has come to be known as the Psalm of the Suffering King. It's a psalm of anguish and despair and of worry about what's happening all around him. You may recognize these first lines of his in Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Why are you so far away when I groan for help? Can you sense his despair and his worry? He's got so much going on. He, he says things like this. Every night I lift my voice, but I find no relief. He goes on to talk about how people are mocking him all around him in his culture because he dares to continue to trust in the Lord and pattern his life after the Lord and people are making fun of him. 
He talks about how people are trying to cancel him verbally and physically because he dares to follow after God. But something happens. Psalm 22 is this psalm of anguish, but somehow you get from Psalm 22 to Psalm 23. What is it that takes place? You know, one thing is that Jesus on the cross, he cried out the words of Psalm 22. Do you remember that moment? On the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani are the words that he used. And everyone who heard him that day would have known that he was echoing and embodying the suffering king in Psalm 22. So Jesus on the cross, he understands and he carries our burdens and he gets the anxiety that we have. But how do you get from Psalm 22 to Psalm 23? Psalm 22 is a psalm of anguish. Psalm 23 is a psalm of calm. Listen to the first words of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Maybe you've learned it as the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. In other words, you don't need to want for anything else because the Lord is your shepherd. You have all that you need. How do you get from Psalm 22? Why have you abandoned me, God? I'm so worried about what's going on to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. How do you get from one, this, this place of worry to the other, this place of resiliency? How do you get there? We need to know in our day and age, we need to know. Well, there's a secret sauce at the end of Psalm 22. It's the last two verses of Psalm 22, which lead right into the Lord is my shepherd. Look at this. Look what David discovered. He says, our children will also serve him. Future generations will hear about the wonders of the Lord. His righteous acts will be told to those not yet born. They will hear about everything he has done. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Is God panicking about the future generations? Is God panicking? Don't let, your think, don't let yourself think for a moment that God doesn't know what to do. God is not panicking. You could say it like this. God is not the panic king. He is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He's the almighty God. And he's God, our father, our good shepherd, who leads and guides his children through the valleys of anxieties and the shadows of death. And he leads us to a place where we can have his resilient reassurance and peace. He will provide for the next generations. You know, God is not up in heaven fretting and chewing his nails and saying, I sure hope Wooddale gets this figured out because I don't know what to do. <laughs> God is not saying that. In fact, he's saying things like this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He says things like this. I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Hebrews 13:8 says this. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
With these words, we can be confident that the Lord who began his good work in the generations past and continues his good work today, he will continue his good work in the future. He will accomplish his plans. And so it's with that kind of confidence, I want us to consider practical ways that we can model a resilient faith for the generations to come. I want to do that by showing you a picture of myself when I was 11, 11 years old, when I had hair. Look at that. Oh my goodness. I'm wearing my Knight Rider t-shirt and I'm playing on this old Apple, Apple Macintosh computer. I think that's Castle Wolfenstein game for those of you who are interested in that. And you know, when I was that age, we had this yard outside of our house that my dad used a John Deere riding tractor mower to, to cut the grass. Our yard was large and, and he used this mower to cut cool lines in the grass and designs. And I remember watching him drive that big engine green machine. And I was like, man, that is so cool. And I would imagine myself driving that thing at Wrigley Field and cutting the Cubs logo into the outfield with the blades, you know? And I just was so, I was enraptured by this big green John Deere riding tractor mower. And then one day, my dad actually handed me the keys to the mower when I was 11 years old. And he said, your turn. <laughs> I got on that thing and I just started going and I ran over all the flowers and all the mulch in my very first time mowing. I was a horrible at it. I like destroyed the landscaping. Ah, but you know what? My dad had modeled for me how to do it. And I had watched and my dad was patient with me and he gave me opportunity and he coached me through it. And by the end of the summer, I had gotten pretty good at mowing the yard and I'm still pretty good today. I take a lot of pride in being able to mow the yard and leave cool lines in the grass. And I actually think of my dad and pray for him every single time that I cut the yard. My dad did two things for me in that story that I, I want all of us to be doing for the next generation. He modeled what to do while I watched. And then he gave me the opportunity to practice it. This is God's plan. This is the way that God has set things in motion. God has always wanted one generation to model faith for the next generation and then give the next generation the opportunity to practice it themselves. If you have a Bible, I would love for you to grab it and follow along in Deuteronomy chapter six. You can also follow along on our screen. We're going to be involved in an active dynamic modeling of faith right now. Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through nine are the foundational verses for all of the nation of Israel and how they're supposed to practice their faith. They're the foundational verses for us. It's where we find our identity and who we are in the everyday moments of our life. This passage is known as the great Shema. Shema is a Hebrew word, which simply means to hear or to listen. And it has this connotation of agreeing. It's like, do you hear what I'm saying? Yes, I hear what you're saying and I'll do it. That's the idea here with the great Shema. So let's go through Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 9 together. And I want you to look for the all-in active faith here. Check this out. Deuteronomy 6. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. 
and you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you're getting up, tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Did you see that in here? Did you see the activeness of faith? Did you see how much is happening in the everyday life of modeling faith? Let's, let's take a look at this. Let's, let's piece this out a little bit. Check this out. Look at the action here. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. This is an all-in practice of faith. Loving God is not an add-on to your life. It's an all-in one commentary, the JPS Torah commentary says this, that, that when a Hebrew word for a feeling is used, like in this case, love, ahava, when that word is used, it doesn't just determine a feeling or, or show a feeling. It, it also means that you are showing a practice, a lifestyle. So if you say you love God, then you won't just have the moment of a feeling you will actually have the lifestyle of loving God. It's an all in everything about you, all of your heart, all of your soul and all of your strength. Loving God is all of that. Remember the next generations are watching you the other six days of the week too, not just on Sunday. And they'll see in those special moments throughout the days at the grocery store, when cans of vegetables are being dropped on the top of your foot, they'll be able to tell if you love God through all circumstances. If we're going to equip the next generation to be resilient followers of faith, then we ourselves, this current generation needs to have a resilient all in faith. Look, the action continues here. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. The next generation trends and studies are showing is struggling to make commitments. Those big lifetime commitments that have always marked our culture. The next generation is struggling to make those commitments. And the reason why might surprise you. It's actually really simple because they've seen older generations struggle to keep the commitments that they've made. So the younger generation naturally has grown reluctant to make those same sorts of commitments. They don't want to mess up commitments. And so therefore they're hesitating and being reluctant to make commitments themselves. But the amazing thing about being a follower of Jesus is that we don't have to follow the behaviors and customs of this world. We can actually set new trends, life giving trends and life giving lifestyles where people commit to God and they commit to the church, God's family, and most importantly, they commit to Jesus. This is what Kyle asked us to do last week. He said, commit to three things, commit to your family, commit to God's family, the church, and most importantly, commit to Jesus and do this wholeheartedly. Don't say that you will follow God only to fail in following God all week long. Put your whole self into this. It's an all in. And some of you are thinking, I would love to do that, Ken. Like, I agree. Like, this is the way I want to live my life, but we don't have time to add on more religious activities. 
do you know how busy we are? We've got to shuttle kids around to soccer. We've got to work for a living. We've got shows to binge watch. I mean, when are we going to have time to add another activity? Netflix just put out a brand new series. We can't add anything else. Well, I'm not actually asking you to add anything. Jesus is an all in. Like you don't need to add anything to your life. The Lord is your shepherd. He's all you need. If you find that you are distracted from your faith in God, then maybe what you need to do is start subtracting some things out of your life, casting off those things that are entangling you. The next generation is watching. And so the goal is to model this all in faith, this active resiliency. And if you don't live in all in faith, the odds are that the generation that follows you won't even know how to do so either. So look at this and it just goes on. So how do we do it? It's not by adding more religious activities. It's by living out your faith every single day. Check this out. Repeat God's commands again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed and when you are getting up, tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads. As a reminder, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you see the activity here? Repeat talk, tie, wrap, uh, write. Faith is to be lived out all the time, everywhere. The Bible says things like pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, be content at all times. The Bible is filled with all in, all the time, all the places sort of faith. It's what we're supposed to do. Can I be honest with you for a moment? I, I love our children's ministry programmings and, and I hope that your kids will commit to being there every single Sunday and that you as a family will, will commit to being a part of uh, worshiping together and all of that. But, but do you realize that even if a child goes to every single Sunday school class in our children's ministry on Sunday mornings, that will equal only 52 hours a year of spiritual input in their life. That's just not enough to counter the behaviors and customs of this world, this tsunami, which is pushing them away from God. 52 hours a year is not going to cut it. But in God's dramatic and brilliant plan, even in our culture today, as busy as we are, children have on average 3,000 hours a year awake with their family. 3,000 hours. And they have hundreds and hundreds of more hours on top of that with other adults who are investing in their life, like teachers and coaches and and volunteers. It's the everyday moments of faith where our children are going to learn how to be resilient. And so for the sake of the next generation, Deuteronomy 6 is saying, repeat God's ways again and again and do it when you are at home. Do it when you're at home. Yes, live out your faith when you're playing video games, when you're watching football, when you're preparing meals, when you're running around trying to get everything ready, when you're, when you're doing the things that you do at home, live out your faith. Don't separate faith and life. They go together. They are one and the same. It's an all in. And how you live in those everyday moments at home will change the lives of your children. So let me give you a couple of ideas that I would love for you to put into place this week in your home. 
Give one of your children a challenge to give a two minute devotional thought of the week as you sit down for dinner or ask one of your children to pray, you know, and they'll know that they can do that because they will have seen you modeling it. So start with yourself and model a way for children to pray throughout the week. Put an encouraging note, a Bible verse, somewhere where they can see it to encourage them to follow after the Lord throughout the entire week. So it's at home. That's when you're supposed to live faith. But check this out. You also should live faith when you are on the road. When you are out of the house, this is also when you should be living for God. Let your children know that faith is relevant whenever they're on the road. And that means, yes, when you get cut off by somebody on the highway. Yes, it means when you're stuck in a really slow drive-through fast food lane. Yes, it means when you're in the grocery store and your kid's being a stinker and he's throwing vegetable cans out and dropping them on your foot. When you are out of the house, let your faith be seen and be evident. You know, also... You can represent God and represent a way of God when you are going to bed. Encourage a lifestyle at home that is dedicated to God at the end of the day. Don't make the end of the day stressful when you're wrapping everything up and trying to prepare for tomorrow and it's just hectic and nobody says goodnight to anybody and nobody checks in with anyone. You know what? Get that stuff done beforehand and put your phone aside Put it away for the night and pray for your kids or pray for your grandkids or pray for your neighbors or pray for the next generation and let them see that you put them ahead of your own interests at the end of the day. Model it for them and then encourage them to do the same, to pray for their friends, to pray for their cousins, to pray for their own parents or grandparents, to pray for the people that God has put in their life. Let that kid see you and then let them have opportunity to do the same thing. So when you're going to bed, but also when you're getting up, look at this, when you're getting up, when you're yawning and you're scratching your belly and you're preparing your breakfast and when you're running around making lunches and trying to get everybody out the door to work and to school and to the activities of the day and maybe even when you're lazy in bed, put the Lord first in your life. I'd love to challenge a lot of you with this this week for the sake of the next generation, not even for yourself, but for the next generation. Monday morning, as your week starts, Get up 15 minutes early and pray for every young person that God has put in your life. Start your week with that habit and ask young people that you know to start their week that way as well. Tie them to your hands. Now, that may seem strange. That sounds like a weird phrase. Tie them to your hands. You know, and, and literally throughout history, some people have taken leather straps and they've written God's word on leather straps and they've wrapped it around their hands and they've, they've been reminded about God's word because they've wrapped it around their wrists and their hands. And, and so you could take it literally, I guess that's fine. But maybe even more importantly is to take the intent of this. Like Colossians 3.23 says, let the work of your hands bring glory to God, right? It's everything you do with your hands should be dedicated to the Lord. Nothing that you do with your hands should be sin. 
So as you're on the computer, as you are texting people, as you are playing video games, as you are preparing meals, as you're doing accounting, as you're doing landscaping, anything that you are doing with your hands should bring glory to God and let the next generation see that what you do with the hands that the Lord has given you and the work that he has given you, let the next generation see the resiliency of your faith through it all and encourage them to do the same. And likewise, it says, wear God's reminders and, for, uh, and word on your forehead as reminders. You don't have to write all over your forehead. What this means is so simple. Think about God. Let your thoughts be saturated and filtered in the ways and patterns and instructions of the Lord. It's like Romans 12, 2 says, don't be conformed to the patterns and behaviors of this world, but let God transform you by making you a new person, by changing the way you think. We need to work on the way that we think. So here's, here's an idea. You could take sticky notes. And you could write Romans 12, 2 all over these sticky notes. And then you just start placing them. In fact, I'll do that right now. So I'll put Romans 12, 2. Maybe your handwriting will be better than mine. And just start placing it places where you are going to see it and notice it. Where maybe even you'll be surprised. I've written Psalm 119, 105 on a bunch of sticky notes, and then I've placed them all over. There's one on my steering wheel. There's one on my mirror. There's one on my monitor at work. We should be reminded and saturated in the ways of God. Maybe what you want to do so that the next generation sees how committed you are to thinking about the ways of God is that you should join a life group or, or Bible study fellowship, something in our church where you can get together with a small group of others and dive deeply into the word of God. You know, here's an opportunity. This, this right now, our women's ministry is starting a book club to go through this book, Mama Bear Apologetics, because there are a lot of moms who are worried about what's happening to the faith of the next generation in our culture. And so they're dedicating themselves to working through and thinking through God's ways and, and how to model a resiliency of faith. And I would encourage you to get involved in this. Another thing that you could do for the sake of your children is to register them for the Wooddale Academy or your younger children for this next school year so they can spend every day of the week being saturated in the ways of the Lord. Maybe you want to register this summer your, your children for vacation Bible school. And our Eden Prairie campus is filled up this week with hundreds of kids, but we still have some space in our Edina campus the following week for, for VBS or at our Loring Park campus later in the summer. We're also offering a virtual option so that our children can be saturated in the ways of the Lord and learn about him. And this reminds me of one other opportunity we have to think about God's ways. On July 4th, we have a panel. Our sermon will be done with a panel of people, Pastor Kyle, Pastor Heather, myself, and some other friends of Wooddale. And what we want to do is answer your questions about family matters and, and what God thinks about family. So there's a link on our screen here where we want you to think about some questions about family and email them to us and we will do our best to tackle those and think about what God thinks 
about family. So follow that email and that link there. Finally, in our Deuteronomy 6 passage, I want you to see this, that we're supposed to write God's ways on the doorposts of our house and on our gates. This is what we're supposed to do. And you could do that literally. We actually have some Bible verses in our, the gates of our house and the doorways of our home and scattered throughout our home to remind us to live for God when we're out of the house and when we're in it. But you could also take the intent of this too. And let the next generation know that every time we exit our home, we are commissioned as we go to make disciples of all nations. And then when we return home, we're in an environment where we are saturated in God's ways. Our identity when we're at home and when we're away from home is the same. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And no matter what is happening in this world, he has given us his spirit to be resilient. So current generations, can I just call you to model faith for the generations to come? Let them see you and then give them the opportunity to practice that as well. One of the ways that we can model faith for the next generation and encourage them to practice it is through communion. And so we have a great opportunity to share communion together and to celebrate all that God has done on the cross. And God has encouraged us to practice this with one another. He has died on the cross to carry all of our sin and anxiety and all of our worries and all of our despair and pain and anguish, like Psalm 22, to carry that on his shoulders and then to conquer it and defeat it. And with resiliency to give us new life that rises from the grave. We have a great thing and a good plan and good news to share with this world. And so let's celebrate communion together. Okay, if you haven't done so already, would you grab some bread and uh, like a cracker or a wafer if, if you need to, and then grab some juice and we're going to celebrate communion together. And I, I want to do that by reading for you what 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took some bread and when he had given thanks for it, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's celebrate that together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, shed for you. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's do this together. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for inviting us into your family. Thank you for letting us also join you on mission. Thank you for all you have done for us. And not just for us, Lord, but for all generations, yesterday, today, and forever. For those who have laid the foundation for us, Lord, we give you thanks. 
and for, for right now, the calling that you have given us to model for the next generation a resilient faith. Thank you that we get to join with you in that mission. Lord, and we lift up the next generations that they would know union with you. Lord, that they would follow you. Lord, that the generations to come would spread your word here, near, and far. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.